tonight, I'd like to talk about what we all share, what is common to all of us. And I, I phrase it this way because I think the, the message of our times, maybe the most important message of our times together as a culture, as human beings that share this world, the message of our times is that we need to open our eyes to our differences. We need to open our eyes to the fact that, that people, depending on their access to resources, to education, to, to justice, to privilege, to that people's access to different experiences based on so many different circumstances are different. They're different for different people. And it is part of our awakening, the widening of our view of reality to, to be open to and welcome the world of, of endless differences and to come out of the come out of our own narrow view of how things have been for us and to try to put ourselves and to feel what it may be like for for other people who have very different experiences of the same of the same things that every human being faces so our perceptions of reality depend a lot on the way we have been conditioned and our access to all those things that I just spoke about. This is really the, the important, maybe the most important social thing of our time. and I think it's expressed beautifully uh, at the heart of the Black Lives Matter movement. It's, it's to see that there's a different reality that's being experienced by people, by other people that are, that not everyone sees or everyone shares that, that version of reality, that experience. So this is a really important thing and I've been swimming in this lately and it's it, my passion for this kind of waking up is, it seems now that I'm being taken over by it. At the same time, The teachings, why they have been accessible to over the course of 2,700 years, why they have been able to adapt to every culture, why they have, and why they've been able to be adapted to the idiom or the language the customs of a, a particular culture is because it, within the teachings there are things that everyone shares. The heart of the teachings speak to every person regardless of our differences. So we don't want to lose that fact. And the way the Buddha, as I've talked about it on Tuesday nights before, the way the Buddha dealt with both the, the social differences of his day and the universality of what he was teaching 
is that everyone would get the same teaching. Everyone would get the same teaching. But in order to experience that teaching, they had to, um, they had to say, nobody's any higher than anybody else. And especially if they were to join the, the monastic community, the, the nuns and the monks had to, it was complete, everybody wore the same clothes, they, they practiced the same rules, and they heard essentially the same teachings. Now, of course, the Buddha did give different teachings to different lay communities, but that was mostly in response to who presented him with a question. But the teaching, the essence of the teaching that he gave to everyone was to describe the common elements of every single person's life experience. So even though, so we, a a comprehensive Dharma view, at, at least in my view, is be exquisitely, increasingly more sensitive to our differences, but also look deeply at what the, what the Buddha or what any of the, maybe any of the wisdom teachings point to as being universal truths that we can not just adopt as views or religions, but that we can see for ourselves. And the understanding is in this case, in the case of the Buddha Dharma, is if you see deeply into these universal truths, if you see them not just deeply and think about them, but you experience them directly, they will liberate your heart. They will, they will free your heart from all kinds of confusion, all kinds of constriction, will lead to, and really every practice we do, it's in behalf of leading to awakening, leading to happiness. The happiness of freedom, the happiness of liberation. It's not just to learn some skills to get along in your life. That's useful. It's not just to meditate and say you have a meditation practice. Everything in the teachings, and even though meditation is so much at the heart of the Buddha's teaching, it's at the heart of the Buddha's teaching only in as much as it is done on behalf of liberation, on behalf of awakening. So that's really back to basics, and it's... um, it's, it's what I it, it's what what put me on this seat, and it's what what guides me every day of my life. Is that I want everyone, I want everyone, not just to to wake up to our differences, but I want everyone to be liberated, to come out of the tangle of confusion, come out of the the effects of open your heart to the effects of your. Con- effects of your confusion, fall in love with yourself, fall in love with all beings, and experience the, what the Buddha called the sure heart's release, where you're not just, um, you don't just feel a little better. You actually sit in the middle of your life with a sense of strength and resilience and open-heartedness and love, and you, have, and you, can, you basically can feel safe with yourself enough to just courageously give yourself over to life. And then you're, you're safe enough and strong enough in your attention that you can, you can also have confidence that you can deal with 
whatever uh, internal conditioning comes up and any, and any um, as much as possible, any uh, outer conditions. And the conditions, as we know in our world, are, are wild. I mean, I, it's really hard not to just stop and, and just hover in complete wonder at the bizarreness of the political situation. <laughs> of course, you would think if you were, if you were, um, if you just watch the news that that's all that's going on. But there are actually billion, millions of people that are getting liberated right now. There are millions of people who are, are using their life, every moment of their life, in behalf of awakening. And not just awakening for themselves, but awakening for all beings. So many people doing so many beautiful things in this world. But yet, we can't deny, we have to also include the, the, um, the light that's being shined on the, the most ignorant the most hateful, the most deluded parts of our humanity. And also include that. And not put that out of our heart. That's part of awakening too. It turns out that one of those universal truths that anything and anyone you put out of your heart, you suffer. Anyone and everything that you put in your heart, leads to more feeling of connection, freedom, strength, balance, and equanimity. So it seems when we try to keep things out, even though we do it out of love for ourselves, and I'm not saying to be a, a doormat to life, but when our, our number one methodology for coping with the intensity of our life is to shut down, is to put things out of our mind, out of our, our hearts, we just end up very much isolated, separate, tense, feeling like we're apart from the flow of life. It's the metaphor that I often use is we feel like we're the one wave that's gotten separated from the ocean. Like That's not original. It's from the Bhagavad Gita. And we forget how deeply how deeply we are inseparable from, the, from the, the same human beings that we've just put out of our heart. They are, they are our own self. Even Donald Trump is not apart from you. He, he expresses that side of our nature. And one of the things that the Buddha said is that if you don't have, if you do not have some measure of greed, of hatred, or ill will, or ignorance, you're not one of us. You are here because you have your own measure of that. And that that it, it that those what are called the three poisons torment all of human beings. They're just not always broadcast so so loudly. 
But to the degree that we can't stand that expression that we see is the degree to which, to some degree, that we've disowned that part of ourselves. So our practice, universal practice, can you, ex- can you extend your circle of compassion and affection to even what the, in the teachings is called the so-called difficult person or the enemy? If you can't, that's where the action is in your practice. So this is the practice of metta, of liberating the heart, liberating our, our false sense of separateness through extending our circle of affection. And that's a real thing. And we can practice it every day. And you, I was just reading a sutra earlier today where, God, I, would, would somebody be willing to bring me that rolling backpack that's over there? That one with the handle sticking up. I hope it's not too difficult. I was reading this sutra and I'm hoping I can find it really quickly. You can say I have all this stuff but I never know what I'm going to say. And this is really all about getting lucky, so... I think it's in the twos. So this is this is not a casual affair, as, as you sometimes hear. It's it's you know one of my teachers you know said practice as though your hair is on fire. But this is I think it's expressed in this this sutra called unremitting effort. So the effort to when we talk about wise effort in the teachings, we we talk about cultivating wholesome states, cultivating what's wholesome. And then the second part of wise effort is maintaining what's, what's wholesome. So it means pretty, pretty continuous inclination toward loving kindness. And the second, the, the second half of wise effort is, is letting go of, of um, the unwholesome or which means to, in some ways, renounce in your mind, in a continuous way, renounce uh, ill will. That's just one example. Renounce the cause of suffering. And then to create enough um, mental strength that, and enough goodwill that it, it prevents, it literally prevents the, the unwholesome, the... the painful states, the suffering-causing states from arising. So the four efforts, cultivate the wholesome, maintain, abandon the unwholesome, and prevent the unwholesome from arising. That's kind of classic, wise effort. But here's what he talks about, unremitting effort. Two things, O monks, and for the sake of this conversation, you're monks. You are, at least for tonight, renunciates. You're turning... You're going. You're against the stream of just constant distraction. You're entering into the stream of living in harmony with, not in contention with reality. Living in harmony with reality, not opposed to it. So two things, O monks, I came to know well: not to be content with with just pleasant states of mind, so far achieved, to be unremitting in the goal of awakening. 
unremitting indeed did I practice and I resolved, let only my skin, sinews, bones remain. Let the flesh and blood in my body dry up, yet there shall be no ceasing of energy till I attain whatever can be won by strength, energy, and effort. You don't hear that message very often, do you? Except maybe in sports, Olympic season. And there's something about practice that's analogous to the training of our, our bodies to, to do something very well. Through diligence, I have won awakening or enlightenment. Through diligence, I have won the unsurpassed security from bondage. If you too, O oh monks, will practice unremittingly and with resolve, let only my skin, sinews, bones remain, let the flesh and blood of my body dry up, yet there shall be no ceasing of energy till I have attained whatever can be won by strength, energy, effort, then too, you too will soon realize through your own direct knowledge in this very life that unsurpassed goal of the holy life for which sons and daughters of good family rightly go forth from home into homelessness and entering into it, you will dwell in it. Therefore, O monks, you should train yourself. By the way, we had at a retreat that I just led at Insight Meditation Society, we had five Korean women who sat in the front row and they called themselves monks. They didn't call themselves nuns. So when we say monks, it includes any person who is going against the stream of our, our habits. So I, I'll go back again. Therefore, O monks, you should train yourself thus. Unremittingly shall I practice with resolve. Let only my skin, sinews, and bones remain. Let the flesh and blood of my body dry up. Yet there shall be no ceasing of energy till I have attained whatever can be won by strength, energy, and effort. This, thus should you train yourselves. So does that make you want to practice more? Or does it make you want to practice less <laughs> when you hear things like this? It's just a reminder that it's, that in this world of popular techniques and self-help, it's easy to forget that we, in the, at least in this practice, that we do it in behalf of awakening. And of course, the byproducts of aiming what, for what the Buddha called the highest happiness, peace, freedom, the byproduct is that we experience many of the pleasures of life we get, we're able to, with a mind that is pure, and when I say pure, I don't mean in the moral sense, with a mind that is pure, that is even, that is present, that is un, un, uh, that's not bound up in all kinds of reactivity, we, our senses become quite clear and open. We see, when I, if my mind is free of its preoccupations, I see you more clearly. I feel you. And with that, I feel a deeper connection. And I feel the pleasure of that connection because I'm not caught up in my internal drama. If my, ear, if my mind and body are in the same location, my hearing is more acute. I hear the music of life, the sound of silence. That itself is gladdening. 
If I have my mind in my body, the, the, my mind and body are unified. I feel my body suffused with a sense of aliveness, energy. And it's gladdening to the heart. So lots of byproducts of, of great pleasure when we train our attention to be present. When my, my heart is extended, I'm through goodwill. It breaks every day. But I feel the, the gladness of that kind of connection of not being, hiding myself away in fear and in, in dullness and deadness and distraction. So there's lots of, lots of blessings, joy that comes from inclining toward awakening. But we don't aim for some pleasurable feeling, even the pleasure of an open heart. We aim for liberation to be the greatest blessing that we can offer as a, is a, a mind that's, that's not stuck. It's not bound up in, in false ideas. So we liberate ourselves from, from ill will. We liberate ourselves from, from misperceptions about ourselves, about others. We, we see that in, our, in the stillness and being awake, there's not one person here as unique an individual as you are, there's not one person here that's describable as an idea. Not describable as a, a, a this person or that person or a limited or... Every person here is beyond description. How did I get on that theme? We liberate our hearts from thinking that that freedom comes from from just from pleasure. If I have enough pleasure, then I can become happy. And devoting, putting what the Buddha called misplaced faith in pleasurable experiences, otherwise known as sense pleasures. That the true freedom comes from being able to feel our own suffering as a human and to feel with others in their suffering. As you've heard the Thich Nhat Hanh line, no mud, no lotus. The cure for pain is in the pain. Good and bad are mixed in this life. The opposite of the message that our consumer machine gives us. So we, we need to, if we want to be free, we need to liberate our, our, our chronic aversion to things that are unpleasant. Because they're half of our life. Even your best vacation, if you were honest about it, it has a, has a good measure of unpleasant. It's not weird. It's how it is. We liberate ourselves from the maniacal belief in our thoughts. 
We don't have to believe our thoughts. We can make a shift from being simply carried along, identified, incarnated in our thoughts to noticing, wow, my mind is freaking crazy. And laugh about it. Because we see that it's not anybody's mind, it's just mind doing its own thing, thoughts thinking themselves. And conditioned by the kinds of thoughts that were internalized from parental voices, from advertisements, from, from trauma, from so many things that happen. But nevertheless, the thinking mind is just the thinking mind. To be able to step out of that torment and to be able to see, wow, what a magical display. And to be, to be less and less affected by our thoughts. And to recognize from, our, from being so immersed in direct experience that a thought of myself is just such an insult to what my immediate experience is. A thought of myself is not myself. Or as Anagara Kamunindra put it so beautifully, a thought of your mother is not your mother. Sometimes that's the way that people can understand it. It's a, it's a thought. It can never capture the, the mystery and wonder and aliveness that is our immediate and direct experience. And then finally, in just the, the last thing that's coming to me right now in terms of liberating ourselves from not only are, is it a case of mistaken identity with our thoughts, it's a case of mistaken identity with our body that's operating according to its own processes. This body does not belong to me. There is no me to whom it belongs to. This body is a, a process that has that took birth because of conditions came together and it will pass, but there is no me to be found in it. It is a process. It doesn't you can't tell it not to get old. You can't tell it not to breathe. Well, you can, but it doesn't, you know, pretty soon you're holding your breath. <gasps> pretty soon it takes a breath. You don't notice how you, when you sit quietly, you know, we say notice your breath and we say your breath. But then when you sit, you feel your body. Oh, wow. Who's breathing? We say I'm breathing. Then you see... Body is breathing. It's breathing all by itself. Not me, not mine. So we liberate ourselves from the mistaken identity with our body. And we're at least at some point led to the sense of, of you know, what am I? I'm, who am I? I'm, I don't seem, I can't, identifying myself with this body, it just... It, it makes me so fearful because the, and you know, last week when I, f I felt a little vulnerable, fear, that was body identity. That was a moment of body, I several moments of being identified with the body. Body identification brings with it a, a, lot, of, a lot of fear and, and survival instinct. It's kind of built into the process. But our awakening helps us just to see that that's just condition, that, that I am not my body. 
And then we're left with the question, what am I? Not my thoughts, because the thoughts are just coming and going. Where are they now? And, and my moods, that I, oh, may, I thought my moods were me, but moods come and go and I can't find them when I look for them. So finally, through the careful, remember, meditating on behalf of awakening, careful attention to the flow of experience, careful, kind attention to what's happening, we see some universal truths that we are all part of. We see that everything, everything that I take to be me and mine, Everything is arising and passing of its own accord. Body changing, mind changing, aging, sickness, old age, death. Its own process. Not me, not mine. This I'm not. And we, we see that the, you know, the, everything arising, passing. Trying to own that Trying to, being identified with it makes me suffer. And recognizing that it's all happening by itself, I see that it's selfless. There's no, no owner of this mind and body. And in seeing the, what we call anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness. I can't find any lasting satisfaction in this changing world of conditions. And seeing that it's all empty of self, my mind opens. It no longer grasps, no longer holds on so tightly. And as it lets go, gosh, I wonder if I have that with me. When it lets go, we awaken. We're liberated from the confusion of taking things that are impermanent to be permanent, unsatisfactory to be satisfying, that which we take to be selfless, rather than recognizing its selflessness. When, we, when our perception changes, our mind opens, and we become liberated. And we recognize and not holding on to things that change, we awaken to... What do we awaken to? I'll share the words of... I looked down and there it was. I'll share the words of beautiful nun uh, Her name is um, Tejitsu. This is from the 1700s. Standing on the small porch of Hakujuan, she saw the shadow of a little wren crossing the footpath, followed by the shadow of a hungry crow. And she saw that the little wren arose, abided, and fell away. And that abiding arose, abided, and fell away. And that falling away arose, abided, and fell away. She saw that knowing this arose, abided, and fell away. Then she knew there was nothing more than this. No ground, nothing to lean on, 
stronger than the cane that she held, nothing to lean upon at all, and no one leaning. And she opened the clenched fist in her mind and let go and fell into the midst of everything. So may we all practice on behalf of liberation. May we all practice on behalf of an open heart and a wise mind. And may our practice tonight and every night and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all beings. And so let's just sit quietly for a moment. Then she knew that there was nothing more than this, no ground, nothing to lean on stronger than the cane she held, nothing to lean upon at all, and no one leaning. And she opened the clenched fist in her mind and let go and fell into the midst of everything. May all beings experience the joy of awakening. May all beings be free. May all beings grow in compassion. for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your generosity. And I hope to see you next Tuesday and have a great week. Please be mindful unremittingly, as the sutta says. And also, most importantly, please pile the chairs up and move them back to the side in piles of four.